This is Dr. David Proden, and I want to thank you as we begin another journey into school and community safety. If you're looking for industrial safety expert, Appalachian State University professor, Dr. Timothy Ludwig, please visit www.safety-doc.com. Again, that's Dr. Timothy Ludwig at www.safety-doc.com. Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. David Perodin, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. It has been a while since I did an episode and I was busy preparing for my presentation July 3rd on Wisconsin Public Television, School Safety in America, Rhetoric versus Reality. So it was terrific. Um, It went very well and I was very well prepared for it. at least 100 hours, if not more, assembling this presentation. Um, I ran it past a few member checks, but I would record it down here in the studio and then watch it, make sure I was getting my timing down, making sure my content was clearly delivered. Yeah, and a couple people were checking it out for me. I'd email them and say, hey, I'm going to just post it on an unlisted link if you want to take a look at it, give me some feedback, I'd appreciate it, and maybe a a specific area that I thought was um, not as fluid in the presentation. And and once you go through that, I mean, it really helps you. Every time I was rehearsing, I was coming out between like 56 and 58 minutes. So I had it down and again, uh, went well. So I'm gonna talk about that in a little bit, but to give an overview of today's episode, paying the liar's dividend in school safety. So the liar's dividend, this is a term that I became familiar with as I researched and developed my presentation for Wisconsin Public Television. And it's very um, alarming to me because I think this is an area that we don't have a countermeasure for in schools. And right now, school safety is a $3 billion or possibly $5 billion industry. Depends upon how you interpret the numbers. But you're not going to be able to fortify your way past the liar's dividend. Um, so I want to talk about that because we haven't done an episode on agency and purpose for a while. And this is going to help us get there. Um, and it's, 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 very, it's very relevant because we're on the cusp of some significant changes in school safety. I'll get to those as we get further into this episode. So, anecdotes. Yeah, Wednesday night at the lab. That's what the program is called, Wednesday night at the lab. You can check it out on YouTube or just type in Wednesday night and night is N-I-T-E at the lab. 
So 50 weeks a year at UW-Madison in their biotechnology center, they record um, shows. They, it has an auditorium. It's very nice, so about um, uh, 110 people. Um, and for some of the episodes, Wisconsin Public Television is present. And with my episode, this was similar to when I presented in 2013. Actually, it was the same exact uh, venue. Um, what happens with my presentation is Wisconsin Public Television uh, aired it live, and then they will go in and edit it, do the title overlays, and then um, close caption it, get it rated. Then it can be put out for syndication. And again, with the 2013 show that was uh, appearing, I do Google searches, you know, all over PBS channels all over the country, and people would email me saying they watched it, um, whether it was brought into programming or they watched it from the PBS archives or whatever. So that the YouTube part of that's really expanded since 2013 when I did my presentation. So I'm excited. Um, I'll learn more about that in a few days of what the timeline is for that to be formally produced. Um, but it was, it's really the act two um, to my 2013 presentation. Um, not so much an update as, as much as a, a completely kind of different um, sequence of, of looking at what is happening right now in school safety in the industry. The first one is more talking about terminology, um, the history of school safety, some of the core practices like school connectedness. But this episode focused on the school fortification spending spree. Um, that was very big. And then student mental health, where that's a very convoluted term. And we really don't have a research base empirically to say what works and what doesn't. And even if we had um, money to, to provide these services and a framework, um, we just have parts of the state in Wisconsin, the northern part of the state's a service desert. We only have 39 child psychiatrists that practice in that part of the state. And uh, of course, you know, winter plays into that. It's, it's hard to travel. And so, um, so all, of, all of those things uh, kind, of, kind of got into play of, of mental health. And then I ended with talking about deep fakes and avatar realism and the real threat that they bring to school safety because once we erode trust in each other and trust in what is being told to us um, as far as like news or what we're, we're reading, for you know, example, um, it, it starts to damage our agency and, and purpose. We become very skeptical. Some level of skepticism is necessary. We need to fact check. We need to verify our sources. But um, when it gets to be where it's almost the matrix and you really don't know who's authentic and who's not, um, that can have some deep psychological impact, which I talked about in my presentation. So the presentation is on YouTube. So if you go to Wednesday night, N-I-T-E, at the lab, Wednesday night at the lab on YouTube, you can search for that. Um, you'll find the Wednesday night at the lab series. And of course, this is the July 3rd, 2019 show. Um, and if you want it, you could type in and find my May 22nd, 2013 show. So some things changed. The technology was, was updated. So when you 
present, when I present, when I was there, um, you're at a very large podium as the presenter. And uh, I don't know why I'm saying you're. It's, it was me, right? You were, unless you were there presenting to, if I, I didn't see you, I'm sorry about that. But um, so I'm at the podium. And once they turn the lights on, you really can't see out into the audience very well because, I mean, you're being, you're being illuminated. Um, so as, as far as presenting, it's fine to look down at your screen. You don't look in back at the big screen. That's typically, you're not supposed to do that. People have done it. I don't know. I might have done that a few times. If that's the case, they usually just edit around that. But, um, but so yeah, there, there's a there's a monitor. You can see what you're doing. And what was different? The the colors of how I put my presentation together, like graphs and things like that, were different on the big screen. Like they didn't transfer over exactly, and sometimes not even closely. It wasn't a big deal because I I didn't do a lot that was r relevant to color. Um, and a, a couple pie charts I had, you know, it was like 80%, 20 and 1%. So it was easy to see like the differentiate differentiation with that. But, um, that caught me a little off guard. Um, so, you know, had, had to work around that. And then it was, it was ironic because I went out to a YouTube video, which was an excerpt, there we go, of a video by... Um, Igor Zakharov, who um, published this six weeks ago, deep fakes from a single image, uh, where you have a single image that, that appears to be speaking, okay? So deep fakes. And I needed to get that under 30 seconds, so it would be FCC approved. So I cut the clip down to 23, uploaded it to my website, linked out to it. And I, it worked okay during rehearsal, um, I was there early and, and went through it, um, but then when it actually got to the show, it got glitchy and it was, a, it was hard to get out to the video. Um, I eventually did, and it wasn't that big of a thing, but um, that's something that they'll edit out on Wisconsin Public Television. But that was the one thing I'm like, if there's anything that goes uh, haywire with this, it's not me forgetting content because I know the content inside and out. I've got the timing down. Plus, um, I figured out with my slide changer, uh, which I've had for like 10 years, it has a vibration feature when you get down to five minutes and two minutes. So, when you, you, so you set the timer. And I never figured out how to do that because um, it really didn't have to. Um, so I went online, learned how to do it, and it's great. So I practiced with it. And then, of course, that was the way to to make sure when I got to that point. And I looked and I was right where I needed to be with my, my presentation. So got done everything. My entire presentation was under an hour. And then there was a question and answer section afterwards. So then you stay and that that can go on. They actually shut it down. There were still people like asking questions. Again, pretty big audience. Um, but that doesn't typically get recorded. So I was surprised. Um, because I asked, do the cameras get turned off when I go to the Q&A section after my presentation? They said, yeah. And I thought they gave me the all clear, like the off indication, but that was still live. Like my entire question and answer section was live, which was okay. Um, that's, you know, I had to repeat the audience's is 
the people who'd ask questions, repeat the questions so it could be heard by other people. But I went off uh, off screen because when I moved away from the podium and kind of got more into the spotlights, like you can't see what's happening in the audience. You just get this light coming towards you. So I had to go off to the side and answer questions, which looks normal like when you're doing it, when you're standing there. But with the camera, the camera didn't follow me. So the camera was static. Um, and it, it so it shows like the image of where I was, um, you know, presenting. And it's, 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 it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was an incredible presentation, a lot of energy. And, and when it started, it just clicked. Like I knew I was on, like I had it right from the start. And, um, you know, I am so thankful for the people that helped me um, with peer reviewing and with contributing to it. I mean, there's a wonderful core in the safety community. And I've really found those folks in the last couple of years. Like when I did it in 2013, that presentation, that was like flying solo back then. You know, I didn't have this network to pull from, but I mean, it was in the field um, as an administrator. So I was using that knowledge, but this presentation, of course, much more informed because I've acquired my PhD, done, you know, so much with consulting and in, in those aspects and just have built out this professional network um, to be informed and writing my book, you know, School of Airs, Rethinking School Safety in America, which you can order right now. Um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Target, go on and order it. it you would, you're going to enjoy it. Um, it's told through many stories, um, what contemporary safety is in, in America and, and the uh, clear uh, message from it is, you know, it's not sustainable, but it's not a book that says, here are the seven things that you need to do, but it points out the thing, things that um, have proven to be successful, like qualitative interviewing focus groups and things that just don't work, like surveys and things like that. And then we get into chaos theory, transference dynamics, simulated annealing, but all told through fascinating stories, like getting stuck on a mountainside and what are you going to do? Um, you only have so much food and so much time. And then how that it's actually that psychological process is called simulated annealing. But a must read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the three billion dollar school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims a brave demonstration of speaking truth to power. School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. So um, when I was giving my presentation at Madison, there was a torrential downpour outside, and you're inside of a multi-story building, and it's the first floor, and the auditorium is in the center of it, so you don't know what's happening outside. I mean, you can't hear the rain pounding or thunder or anything like that, nothing. 
So I didn't realize until the presentation was done that the road outside had flooded, like eight inches of rain water had accumulated on this, this road. Um, you know, it, it went away pretty fast, but it was like, oh my goodness, like I had no idea there was like this, this heavy downpour outside. Um, so I parked in the lower level of the parking ramp, but not the lowest level. And I didn't see any like flooding in the parking ramp. And I'm like, whoa, that was a wise decision because you never know. Um, but so yeah, the 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 sh the episode is on YouTube. You can check it out, and then public television will be releasing. But again, it's really it's really well done. I'm just really I'm proud of it. I, I'm very happy with it, and happy for the people that helped inform me um, so I could give this presentation. But it it also took a a good you know two to three weeks of my summer um pretty much every day i was down here researching i was calling people that had put together some of the charts and graphs that i used um i was rehearsing and and just there's this is important i mean it needs to the message needs to be clear to the audience the timing needs to be down so it can be put into programming which means it can't exceed 60 minutes um, as the presentation, you know, the question and answer section gets, gets removed when they, when they edit it for programming. Um, so you need to do all of these things. And again, it, you know, I, I enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to, you know, another five, six years of, of coming back and doing the trilogy, you know, school safety, infinity and beyond. Um, the road in front of our house is being replaced. I took a video, 33 second video of this huge machine which grinds up the asphalt and then throws it into a dump truck. Um, completely, like down, took all of it out. Like just made four swipes, road's gone. And the road was in horrible shape. I mean, patched and patched and patched and just awful. Obviously you couldn't do anything um, except replace it, it's, it's old. Um, so we're looking forward, obviously, to having the, the new road in front because even the kids going to school in the morning or me going out with the bike or whatever, it's an adventure. I mean, you have to dodge the potholes and there's so much gravel and stuff like that that would, that would get on the road or stones. So yeah, and just looking at the house, you know, with a nice paved road in front just adds that appeal. So yay, we always heard like there was always the rumor year after year, hey, this is the year that the road gets replaced and it never happened. Um, and now it's happening. So next week they're going to lay down the new pavement. So a shout out, I was going through my Twitter account and as of right now, that's pretty much all I have for social media. I have safetyphd.com um, is my website, which contains a blog post. Um, but yeah, I mean, Twitter is where I can be found. I don't have anything on Facebook, although I need to do that and intend to do that by the end of summer for the book to have a, a page. But I, I'm going through looking at who's not following me anymore or somebody I followed that, you know, I don't want to follow. Um, I, so I found that uh, Sam's Tavern was following me. And I think when I started on Twitter... Like, you know, I don't know how many years ago, that was one of my first followers. So here, I'm going to give a little shout out to Sam's Tavern for being a loyal follower. 
Great food, great beer, done right, three locations, Redmond, Washington. I've never been there, and I just get a kick that, for some reason, for the last several years, Sam's Tavern has followed me. They have a nice website, have a full menu, so, um, but yeah. So let's talk about the liar's dividend. Okay, I'm going to define it. I'm going to share suggestions to counter it and identify how the liar's dividend will become an issue for student safety with the emergence of deepfakes technology. So here's the liar's dividend in an example. Uh, classic ex example goes back to the earlier reports that cigarettes were linked to cancer. In response, the tobacco industry relied on journalism's honorable tendency to report both sides of the story and went on to suggest there were legitimate doubts about the validity of scientific research. So that is an example of the liar's dividend. By bringing this doubt in, you kind of legitimize something. So I'm going to give more examples. This will become uh, more clarified as I go on. So this is from the pointer, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R.org. The article is written by Kelly McBride on May 17, 2019. It's called The Liar's Dividend is Dangerous for Journalists. Here's how to fight it. Okay. And Kelly writes, this is a bigger problem than the oxygen theory, which argues that by debunking a falsehood, journalists give the claim a longer life. The liar's dividend suggests that in addition to fueling the flames of falsehoods, the debunking efforts actually legitimize the debate over the veracity. This creates smoke and fan suspicions among at least some in the audience that there might well be something true about the claim. That's the dividend paid to the perpetrator of the lie. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. So we can think of, of somebody claiming that we didn't go to the moon. NASA didn't put a man on the moon, okay? Um, so e eventually, if NASA enters this debate or other uh, people in the scientific field enter this debate to try to, to counter this or debunk it, um, what it does is, is that actually would do the action theory of keeping it on, but it, there's this liar's dividend um, suggesting there's this other side of this narrative that we didn't, you know, go to the moon. Um, so even if that is is 
is debunked, okay, like this this claim and, and you know this evidence is provided. Now there's this question of the evidence. Well, has the video been doctored? Is was this all done in a studio? I mean, so these things, um, even if people come forward and say no, and I you know like they have, I've been part of this and in whatever we have the records and and whatever you present, someone could say, yeah, but I mean this could have been done in a studio. This is what this person had argued. So you never quite get everybody back to the level they were with trust and with belief. Some people will go back there. They'll bounce back there with you. Maybe, you know, quite a few people, if your argument's strong, but you're going to lose some. They're not going to come back because they're going to say, I don't know. I mean, that, that argument is saying this could be done in a studio, the rock that kind of looked like it had a three on it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to, Stay in the middle on this one. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm going to wait for more information to come out. Maybe there's going to be some revelation. So, this this when we have like video evidence, so like those types of artifacts um, which can be manipulated, it really gives um, it, it it brings in doubt. You know. So, actually, Kelly McBride. I think did a YouTube video on this too. Uh, and it's only like three or four minutes long. I watched it. So the pointers plans to fight the liars dividend anew. So they do have some ways they think that this can be addressed. And I have a thought on this set of countermeasures. The first one, competing news organizations should collaborate. Okay. I mean, that sounds really good, right? Um, but I don't think that would be realistic um, because uh, news organizations, um, some of them also have, have partisan um, leanings. And if you collaborate, aren't you going to delay information getting out? And the fact is, this is just counter market. I mean, let's just be honest with it. It's counter market. People want news fast, okay? And they would rather have fast news than accurate news. Um, so that's that's the reality. I mean, so you, to say, you know, if we're going to collaborate and make sure that we can filter out and identify what we believe isn't authentic or what might be a liar's dividend, might be, be a complete falsehood that's being told, um, would people be willing to either pay for that, like you know, a subscription or have a delay in getting the information out, you know, because so there could be some skepticism from the news organizations They could share amongst themselves and say, yep, this is authentic or, you know, no, we think that there's, there's a liar's dividend, um, that this is an attempt to put a position out there in order to just, um, degrade the, reality of what's happening so to to put doubt in people's minds um so but yeah i i mean unless i'm wrong i i just i can't imagine that would work open up the reporting process to expose the fakery okay i had to look into this one a little bit so kelly writes news organizations revealing the phony tips that they've been receiving so saying Here's what we get reported into us and in showing the public. Here's what it looks like. Here's what we get. Here's what we do with it. 
and basically demonstrating that good reporting starts with skepticism. So again, I, I think that I don't argue with that um, of, of revealing some of the phony tips and how you identify that they were phony and it shows that you're having some filters in your, your process. Um, but again, I mean, is this going, how much, how much are people interested in that? I mean, I guess that's the point. Like, I, I'm like, for me, I, I just, it, it wouldn't sustain my interest. So to, to basically get to a point where you're almost proving um, that you've gone through a, a method, a filter method with your, with your big stories, I just don't see people having, caring for that. Again, they want the, the fast headline. That's what they want to go with. And they'll usually stick with that. Um, recognize the flaws in the business model. The first organization to publish a scoop gets 99% of the traffic. So the argument here is, um, let's put it also behind a paywall. So, you know, you're, you're paying for content. So it's not that it gets to you the fastest. It's that the providers have quality content. But I, I mean, when she writes, when Kelly writes, the first organization to publish a scoop gets 99% of the traffic. Well, you're not going to counter that by, I mean, so flaw in the business. Yeah, I mean, the flaw is to take information before it's vetted to some level and, and to get it out. Um, but you're not going to counter that because that's, if, if you're lasting getting, getting your news out there in the middle, you're just not going to get the ratings. Um, and people, honestly, I, I just don't think care about accuracy over first because there'll be enough times what is out there first will be accurate. Um, I mean, for example, I mean, if, if, uh, if there's a train wreck or a, a fire or something like that, I mean, those are authentic events. And if you're reporting it, um, you're not going to probably have the cause. I mean, here we get, so let's, let's get into, you know, like the Notre, Notre Dame cathedral fire, you know, it's getting the information out there first about the fire. Um, but nobody cares about the the root cause of this fire right we we've even the 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 story of the secondary effect of lead poisoning in france in paris um because of the vaporized lead i mean that's now removed from the event people are like you know i it's just not going to make them pick up a newspaper and buy it so or to go on and subscribe to to an article online or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's you're always going to you know be advertise. Your advertisers will drive your model, and they they want the clicks. They want people getting to your sites. Um, so, resist using aggregation as ethical cover. What this is, is it's reporting on the reaction. So you aggregate the tweets, write a few sentences of context and hit publish. So somebody else has already um, broke the story. So, you know, some, some big event that's going on. And then the way that you can get into it is, is you jump into it after the fact and are just publishing what people are saying about it. You know, like the tweets or the comments section 
things like that, which really, again, aren't verified sources, and you're just trying to coattail to get into that. So what was interesting to me is I, I didn't quite make sense of this until I read a little bit later um, underneath this heading. And then Kelly kind of makes it crystal clear. She wrote, the amount of deliberately falsified information is likely to increase as will the sophistication of the fakes being pushed on reporters in a competitive news environment. So uh, fake articles, but also, you know, we need to realize deep fakes. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, the information that's just out there because other people are trying to to get some of those clicks. So um, there was a comment posted to this article and the comment said, there has been so much research done into this issue, neuroscience, psychology, sociology, and the fact remains there is little we can do when people prefer to believe their values over facts. So values, I talked about um, customer perceived value in a previous podcast, also spoke about it at Wednesday night at the lab. But if people um, first align to your personal values, okay, so that's one. But let's say school safety. Um, people, let, I'm gonna go back. The fact remains, there's little we can do when people prefer their values over facts. So if you are purchasing the bulletproof igloo for your school district at $30,000 a piece, um, that can fit up to 30 students, okay, you're doing that because your value is you believe that this will bring um, safety, okay, that your, your perception is that and, and your customer perceived value is whatever the cost of this is worth it because it delivers well-being, a sense of, of, a sense of well-being, you know. Um, so the fact is that you know, you probably have a public address system that isn't robust enough to even get your intruder alert out. And it would be more valuable to invest in your threat identification and reporting system um, to a communications than to put your money here. So Mike Cernovich uh, did the documentary Hoaxed where he talks about the um, issues with integrity in the mainstream media. So you can check it out, hoaxed documentary. Um, but the documentary, if you watch that and then you read this article or read the article, then watch that, whatever sequence you wanna go about, it just will point out this isn't realistic. All of the news media outlets um, will serve their independent interest they need to make money to survive. Um, you know, some nonprofits will take their time and, and you know, go deeper and, and maybe have a higher level of accuracy. But as far as like headline news, um, headline news isn't going to change. So anyway, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole with that. But but let me go back on that liar's, liar's dividend initially um, to the tobacco industry 
you know, looking and bringing doubt into the case and having the mainstream media report that. So it's that you always position something as if there are two sides, even though if you know that there's there's one side um, to an argument. So the link between smoking and cancer, you know, had been established. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. safety when the perceived value is a safer school the adults agree to the devices apps and programs market it to them it's also confirmation bias so confirmation bias is um, you're, you're more likely to let's say that uh, you bring in I bring in people to help um, with my my book okay I'm more likely under confirmation bias to bring in people who agree with me or their work, um, I've reviewed their work and I agree with their work. So basically, um, they're just kind of validating what I've done. So what I did, actually my process of like my book and my presentation is brought in some authentic member checks, peer reviewers, um, also people who weren't familiar with me and people who might have positions different than I have just to look at my content, my arguments. But we have confirmation bias. The marketer reinforces that parents' fears are justified. It's also pareidolia. So the parents see they're predisposed. That's the thing. They're predisposed to, to making these connections when they when they see the yellow bollards in front of school. Um, they see fences. They they associate. They see these things, and this this transfers into what they perceive as safety. So they're seeing images of safety. And bowlers in front of school is a great example. Um, they're seeing signs of safety for intruders, right? But we know that intruders aren't using their cars to break down the doorways of the front doorway of a school and then enter the school that way. That's not the pattern. So if we look at these bullards, yes, they would stop a vehicle, but if there was someone coming to the school as an intruder with weapons, they would just walk right through the bullards. I mean, the bullards are three feet apart, you know, so it just what doesn't make sense, but it's pareidolia. You're looking at it and you're thinking, my school's safer because these are here. Well, they're safer for a particular event which could happen. It also introduces risk and, and problems, like in winter, they get snow around them, they get slippery. Um, it is a main entrance, and so now you have an obstacle you have to navigate as you're coming in and out of a building, and if people are in front of you and all of a sudden they move to the side, you can bump into this thing. In a short distance, it's not going to be a big deal. On um, bike trails in Ohio, Pete Medic of Ohio Trailways wrote about how bicyclists die when they hit these things, or cross-country runners. So 
it, you know, this whole pareidolia coming in to play. Um, the adults manifest this false sense of safety. Like our eighth graders are just fine because we swapped out a virtual reality field trip for their authentic trip. So the liar's dividend that was happening, that was in 2017, uh, the district outside of Cleveland, Ohio, um, the parents canceled the eighth grade trip. And it was a liar's dividend which led to that because some of the um, some media posts were saying, well, if North Korea were to launch toward Guam or like if they could launch a, a missile toward the, the United States, like, you know, to, could they actually get one to Washington, D.C.? And it was just this time when people that wasn't that wasn't um, happening. It wasn't probable. It wasn't like we were at high risk for this. But the parents, it, it brought enough of, of a liar's dividend by the people putting this out there that the parents were like, nope, we're not going to do it. Even though the superintendent said, you know, there's D.C. is, is safe. Um, the State Department didn't issue any type of, you know, heightened alerts for the country. So um, this was just a shame. But that's how the liar's dividend can rob people of these authentic experiences and make people pull closer into their Taurus or into their self-similarity and, and not do reconnaissance and not explore the world. A must read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, a brave demonstration of speaking truth to power. School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. So let's move into deepfakes. Talked about this in my presentation on Wisconsin Public Television. Um, so first of all, I did a, a podcast, uh, Podcast 92 on Avatar Realism, Have We, cro have we Crossed the Uncanny Valley? So let's work through some terminology here at the start. The Uncanny Valley, that's a term from 1970, Masahiro Mori, a robotic engineer. Um, what he was observing is the more a robot looked human-like, the more repulsed people were by it. And the more it looked um, not human, people were generally okay you know, with interacting with it. Or if, it, if you got to a point where it would be virtually indistinguishable from a human, people were okay with that. So you yeah, this, had this uncanny value you had across. Now, back in 1970, we didn't have to worry about that because we didn't have the technology to create robots that were human-like. Um, and we didn't have um, electronics which could create avatars and deep fakes and things like that, which um, could give people the impression that they were interacting with, with someone 
that was authentic, who wasn't authentic. So, but he started to see this, you know, in some of the work that he had done. And there's been a tension to that uncanny divide in movies. Like the Incredibles purposely made the characters angular so they they wouldn't be confused with being almost lifelike because kids don't react well in adults, but especially kids to characters um, in animations that seem too lifelike. Um, so terms, avatar realism. Avatar realism is the creation of a little Michaela. You can look that up online, Michaela Sosa. But avatar realism is just that. That is completely a, a that's a fake person. That's an avatar. It's fake. Um, computer generated. It's, it's not authentic. It's run by a team of, of engineers. Um, they call them what, dreamers, marketers, whatever. But there, at no time did this person ever e exist. So you're subscribing to, you're following, you're listening, you're, you're reading uh, tweets, uh, social media posts, Instagram, stuff like that from this person. It's all being managed from behind the scenes if there is no person, okay? So that had hit the scene uh, after 2011. That started to come into play, got better and better. People could kind of detect, you know, that a lot of them weren't authentic, especially things like getting the hair. That was really hard, like getting the hair to move in the, in the right way uh, for anything that would be, be animated for like a commercial purpose. We're not talking like a Pixar here. We're talking, you know, somebody like me putting together like an avatar, um, you know, like the home version. So, by the way, I, uh, I updated my Photoshop from the 2001 version, which no longer operated on my system here uh, for the last few years, to Photoshop Elements 9, which came out in 2011. And I got it used uh, very cheap. Uh, works perfect for what I need it to do. Had great reviews, and I'm like, this will be good because the latest one uh, was just too sophisticated and over the top. Um, so it's nice because I don't need to go into a book to learn about it. Although I did buy a used, um, Photoshop essentials dummies, um, or, you know, whatever for dummies, the, that series book, um, off of eBay for like $3 and 50 cents, including shipping. Um, it had been a library book. So just to, to go through and get that, cause I need some photo editing stuff. I'm doing more graphics work now. Um, that I'm presenting more, and I just don't have anything to do that with. So I will not cross the uncanny divide. Um, if you see my presentation, my map of Wisconsin, which took me several hours to assemble with just a red line across the middle and, and using Photoshop uh, Paint, or Microsoft Paint, I should say, to color in four of Wisconsin's 72 counties, um, did the job, but uh, very functional, but yeah, I need to up my game on that. Okay, so avatars, not real, never create, never real. Deep fakes, real. So a deep fake targets a person. Okay, let's think about this. A deep fake targets a person. So a deep fake, if somebody made a deep fake of me, it would actually be, you'd be watching me right now and I would be presenting, um, but they would probably um, alter this to, they would have text um, to speech software, which would be close to my actual voice. I mean, I have so much out on the web that it would probably be indistinguishable. 
Um, my head movements, this is where Igor Zakharov and Samsung Labs six weeks ago came out with just a single photo and they were able to animate it through different sets that they had of, of just you know people's typical movements and, and show this animation. And then um, if they could get like eight photos, I could get it pretty close. But you know you can still pick these things out, right? They're still choppy. They're not. We're not there. So a deep fake targets a person. That's the thing. So um, a person meaning me, you, anybody. So who can use this deep fake software? Um, you can buy a gig for twenty bucks online. You can buy the software for two hundred and fifty dollars to create deep fakes. And now we know we can do this from just one photo, but you can typically get more than one photo of somebody, right? And think about this in a school setting, the risk to student safety. And this, I think, is significant. No one's talking about this, so I talked about it on July 3rd on PBS, on my presentation. Um, the risk to kids. So deep fakes can tactically be used to target other students. So a student could use it to target another student, saying, um, this is this is what they said. They made a threat against the school. Show it to a principal. A principal looks at it and says, uh, "It looks authentic." I mean, and but the student never did this, right? It's a deep fake. It's an image of them, but their face is is being manipulated. Their voice is being manipulated to say this narrative, which they never said. So it could actually be, you know, well, were you there? Well, yeah, I was there, but that's that's not what I said, you know, because it has the context of, of the image of where they're they're at, and so then it, again, it introduces this whole um, liar's dividend. So someone trying to discredit somebody or get them in trouble or just bullying and harassment, um, if you know you're using this and saying this person uh, made this this threat against the school, this kid made this threat. Well, how do you how do you prove that that's not authentic, right? What are the immediate measures that you have to take? I mean, so do you temporarily suspend the student? Do you call the authorities um, while you're you're investigating this? Um, what happens? Who supports that student as they go through this? Um, is there the recipient of this? I mean, I don't know. I, I, we don't have answers for this. And the fact is, the intelligence community believes by the year 2022, um, you can make a deep fake of anyone, um, and it will be largely indistinguishable from um, the uh, an authentic video like what you're seeing right now. So this is this is terrifying. Um, so yeah, how how do we how do we teach kids to authenticate? Um, information for one. So they're going to see the little Michaela's online, who's really a marketer, you know, she's doing ads and stuff like that. So, um, but you're going to, you're going to start to see other people online and their news sources. And how is this authentic versus this is a deep fake. So this is somebody manipulated. Um, and if it's their friends and you're going to have, this will be targeting, maybe a student targets a teacher, um, a teacher targets another teacher, you know, in some case, I'm just saying, there's no bounds. We're going to see this all over the place. So the integrity of our K-12 system, our K-16, our entire education system, um, is stressed by this, significantly stressed. And, 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 you know, at what point does it fatigue? At what point do you say, 
because you've said, I have this video of you making this threat or, or, or you know, or this, these racial comments or whatever it is, um, discrimination-filled, um, you know, comments. Um, you know, you, you are losing your place on campus or we're suspending your scholarship or what, whatever it is. And then you have to go through some investigative, you know, process. And how do you work with that? Because right now, to you know, likely prove these these high end fake not likely, but how they prove these high end deep fakes like the the Katie, um, not Katie Jones, but high end deep fakes aren't authentic. Um, it takes a team, a forensic team, to look at and say that that person they weren't really saying that. Like we have the Nancy Pelosi video, you know, that came out and people went with it of saying, oh, it looks like she's over medicated or something like that, and it was somebody who introduced a liar's dividend of this deep fake of manipulating her video. So she was slurring her words and, and seemed incoherent. But once even that was found out, okay, that that wasn't authentic, it still stayed up on social media for quite a while. I think it's probably still up there right now. Um, I'm not sure, but there, there was a reluctance to, to bring that down. So this is somebody in government, you know, in, in a position so initially people who are looking at this are saying, yeah, something has, has happened, whether it's a, a transient ischemic attack, a stroke or, or something or, you know, medication, whatever it is, that this person's compromised. Well, you know, so right there you, you've taken a hit at the integrity. Now, even though it's been proven, um, I guess proven, that this was this was uh, manipulated because you do have then the authentic version of it. So you do have the, the two versions. So that I guess you have that. But if you didn't have the authentic version of it, if this person just went in and created this version, you would have no authentic to compare it to. Um, even if they said, yeah, this, it was this person who did this, and here we have the video editing, you know, software to make the deep fake and all of that. You'd still have some doubt. Like, well, oh. Was this, okay, maybe that's just a cover story though, right? Maybe this is just a well-done cover story to put the blame on this person to preserve the identity or the integrity of the politician. So these deep fakes are going to be a problem. Um, so again, it's a risk to ed education. What is the truth? How do we define the truth? The integrity of reputations. Um, if you express an unpopular position, and you increase your likelihood of becoming a target. Um, and we know that suicide is the second leading cause of death of teens, okay? The first being accidental death, vehicular accidents, drug overdoses, things in that category. Um, but if you're the victim or recipient, I should say, of a, of a deep fake, let's say you're a 16-year-old high school student and someone does this deep fake um, allegation against you, which is, which is significant, um, you know, which could end up, you know, with, with legal consequences if this was authentic, right? Um, and you're saying, oh, my, you know, you and your family are panicked, and it's like, you know, I didn't do this. And you have to also convince your family that you didn't do this. Um, and people, these kids can, can be pushed to the point of, of um, you know, a mental breakdown or suicide because it could be like well there's no way out of this like th i'm ruined now like I, i'm losing my friends my scholarship i'm shamed um check out the book uh, so you've been shamed by john ronson talks about the effect of shaming and how a tweet uh destroyed somebody's uh, life profession and their you know their their family and friends relationships so um this this is 
significant. Um, and for the for the kids, okay, for for the teens, loss of agency and purpose. So youth are going to measure their self expression or have it taken underground. So they're just not going to want to say things that might end up um, being putting them on the radar to be a target for a deep fake. Um, so they're not going to they're not going to to um, want to be as expressive. So I think it could take the form of, you know, pseudo names, um, just kids using more avatars to communicate. But it's just uh, it's sad. It's a loss of agency and purpose. You're not going to be, you know, want to excel in anything because, you know, maybe someone's going to go after you to bring you down. I mean, that type of thing could happen. Um, and you're not going to be like a, you know, a professional athlete or an actor. And we've, well, I mean, we've seen those individuals, um, you know, targeted, but they're going to have, you know, some resources, some team around them to counter that. Um, but I mean, you're not going to be able to hire a forensic team necessarily to prove your, your innocence. So we begin with educating educators about deep fakes, and this needs to come into policies and also then practice of teaching kids, here's what deepfakes are, here's what avatar realism is, and here's this incentive that we know as the liar's dividend of why people might use this, and also here's the consequences. Because if we lose this in this generation, I don't think we ever get it back. We, we ever get a level of trust. Everything that's said, everything that's stated, it's always gonna be like, yeah, whatever, maybe, and, and it's, as a society, I don't know how we, we function as that. Um, so maybe not the happiest of podcasts here, but this is a big one. Check out Deepfakes. There's a lot on the web with it right now, especially Igor Zakharov. It's about a six-minute video that he posted just to let you be – just to help you be aware, especially as a parent or an educator, of, of what is happening. Um, if we have awareness around it, and I think there will be some countermeasures. I don't know what that is, but step right now is awareness. So thank you, 405 Media, John Grant, for airing the show out of Los Angeles, California. Everybody, take care. This is David Proden, the Safety Doc. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, 
Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.